Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. So Larry, you and I share a lot in common, and one of the things we share in common is that at the age of 13, we each became a man. <laughs> we were each bar mitzvahed, as many, many of our listeners likely have been. But uh, I thought we'd spend a little time reflecting on that period in your life, when you became a man. <laughs> well, this whole, uh, as we say, the title of this uh, podcast is uh, A Life Lived Backwards, so I'm not sure I became a man at that particular time, but I do have memories of my bar mitzvah. And I think maybe the primary one is uh, the gentleman who taught me my speech and to be to read the Torah, which is what a Jewish lad goes through when he becomes 13. You stand up in front of the temple audience on a Saturday, usually, and uh, you um, say those things that guide your life, presumably. Um, at that particular time, I don't know that the words I was saying meant all that much to me because I wasn't – you know, I used to play hooky from uh, being taught by Rabbi Yudovich, Simon Yudovich, um, my part in the bar mitzvah. I used to go down behind the tractors, uh, the park behind the left, the left field pavilion at Bray's Field yeah. with my redheaded friend Steve Zoll who was uh, – a mischief maker like me, and we used to carry out our habit of smoking, which thank God I, oh, I gave up. Shocking. The, the, the things that are coming out now, my goodness. But we won't tell anybody. Keep going. Well, we used to throw trains. <laughs> we used to throw rocks at passing trains. I mean, and on on Halloween, we'd we'd be doing things that— Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, you, I'm glad you became a lawyer and learned about the law at that point I learned about the law. I'm not sure I followed it. But. <laughs> so the bar mitzvah, so who, who trained you? Was it the right Well, it was Simon Yudovich. And Simon Yudovich, I learned a lot more about him since. Simon was, uh, uh, they called him rabbi. He wasn't actually a rabbi. He was more of a professor or a learned person in Jewish lore. But, of course, coming from the old country. And he came here at the time of the Second World, Second World War to escape the Nazis. And a lot of these people came to Temple Kehil. Not well, when I say a lot, eight or ten people came to Kehel of Israel. Uh, and Kehel of Israel is a temp is a Jewish temple in Brookline, where a lot of well known people have gone. I suppose the first one I could mention was Bob Kraft, uh, whose father was uh, a very uh, uh, Jewishly oriented yeah. man. Uh, at the temp at Kehel of Israel, and they were they were not a wealthy family. I mean, Bob Kraft, you know, married well and then did well and made a lot of money uh, by expanding his wife's uh, father's business to the Patriots and all the rest of that. But there were many well-known people associated with Temple Kehel of Israel, um, which is still a big temple and becoming bigger in Brookline. Right. So, I was assigned to Simon Yudovich and. Uh, I find out afterwards that, um, as I said, he came with another group of people and uh, that um, he was not really a rabbi 
um, but uh, very respected for his learning. Now, my particular speech to the congregation began, uh, our father, our king, Alvino Malcano, I think uh, that's it was. That's Alvino Malcano, very, very well-known. Very well-known all through Judaism. And um, I think um, I've, some British rabbi, I forget his name, who, who said it's one of the most revered ways to address a group or anybody with those words. And um, so Rabbi Yudovich, uh, I now realize, taught me a lot of things that I should know. As a, and uh, I, he became uh, he became more present in my memory as I grew older and became more Jewish. Not necessarily in the religious sense. I'm not a religiously oriented Jew who goes to temple very much, but in my appreciation of the values of Judaism, education and family and uh, fairness and. Um, uh, you know, sure. being a, a good person. Tikkun Olam, I'm sure you're familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, ab- absolutely, to repair the world. Right. Um, you know, we could get into that, uh, the whole thing about Judaism. Uh, but I do think um, it is remarkable that a people who never had a home between the time of the Romans taking down the temple and Masada 2,000 years ago until Israel— we're able to survive all those thousands of years, a couple of thousand years, and um, and still be oriented not towards destruction, war, and killing, but towards repair of the world. Now, how they've earned a bad name, and it's too lengthy a topic to get into, but I do think that um, our own history, Jordan, as you know, is is a history to be proud of. Yeah, and I, I think you you want to focus a little bit on the the city of Brookline, which was really and still is a, a very vibrant Jewish community, and culturally, I mean, there's a lot of Judaism in the air. I mean, there's kosher butchers, there's the Hebrew bookstore, and the Kahilath Israel, the KI as it's known, right? So, do you remember by any chance what the Parsha, which is the portion of the Torah, the story of the Bible. Do you remember what that was when, when it was your bar mitzvah? Because I don't remember mine, <laughs> to be honest with you. No, I don't remember mine either. Yeah. But how how about uh, being up there? Were you nervous at 13 years old to be in front of the community like that? I'm trying to remember whether I was nervous. Um, I probably was a little nervous, but, you know, I've always uh, felt fairly easy with being up in front of a group and speaking publicly. I think that's probably what led me into law. Um, I think I took a, what they called at that time, a CUDA preference test, and it showed that I was, that my preferences were to be either a rabbi or a lawyer. Now, I, now being a rabbi would, was not in my mind at that time. But rabbi means teacher, so you've done a lot of mentoring, so you kind of have done it your own way. Well, you know, one of the first things I did when I became a lawyer, and this is when I'm like 27 or 28 years old, is, and I, I can remember the kid's name. It was a mixed marriage. His name was Danny Bianchetta, B-I-A-N-C-H-E-T-T-A. I guess his father was Italian. Um, and uh, I got in touch with Jewish big brothers and said I'd like to be a big brother. And Danny and I developed a very nice relationship. I've lost touch with him this a long time ago, like 60 years ago. But um, 
the the point I'm trying to make is that even at that time in my life, um, there was an instinctive uh, thought in my mind about trying to help. And I don't know where it came from. And I, no, I, and do I know? Did I ever know I was going to write a book? No. It's it, it's an incredible thing the way a person becomes the person they are and keeps developing all through their life. So. Well, the podcast that we're doing, A Life Lived Backwards, is, is a perfect title for what we're doing. You're examining how you got to where you are uh, nine decades later. And the bar mitzvah era is 13, which is adolescence, which is a, a big, big time. I, I remember my bar mitzvah, and at the time we had a, a luncheon at the synagogue at, afterwards. Nowadays, they have bar mitzvah safaris. It's, it's out of control. Do you remember what the party was like, if there was one? Oh, yeah. The party was at a place called the Southern House. Oh, yeah. Which has now been built into an, an apartment house is on that site. And, you know, this costs money. And um, look, um, the, my parents must have put, I don't know, according to what it would be at today's values, but they had a big party. Maybe, I don't know, 80, 100 people showed up, mm-hmm. and they were all congratulating you. And every time they would congratulate you, somebody would give you an envelope. Or a pen, <laughs> a Parker pen, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And so the, the envelopes all contained money, yes. all the check or money. And my father kept collecting the envelopes from me. And uh, I guess I was too young to be trusted with the envelopes. When we got when Lois and I got married, that was another session with envelopes. But we kept the envelopes. That, that's the envelope you keep, or at least <laughs> Lois kept them. <laughs> and uh, wow. so that, uh, yeah, it was quite a party. And um, so, I think Rabbi, I think I, uh, I think I do remember Rabbi Yudovich. Made an impression on my mind, and I described him in my memoir as the Rabbi of my life. That's a very impressive title because you've no doubt been in touch with and have interacted with many people of that ilk. But it, at that point in your life when you're 13 and impressionable, it's sure nice to know that there's somebody who's kind of looking out for you and, and guiding you in that path. It sounds that way to me. Yeah, and he didn't speak English all that well. And uh, anyway, that was the story with Rabbi Yudovich. And uh, there's, there's another story we'll get to of uh, Miss Greenshields, the housemaster, of uh, my house, they divide each class into houses. Who was the housemaster of my house at Brookline High School? Uh, I can tell that one right now. I think we should because we're in the right era. Uh, before we get there, though, the devotion school, we've talked about that. That was earlier, correct? Oh, Larry? yeah. Right, okay. Just want to make sure we're chronologically moving in the right direction. So Brookline High, where so many famous people, including Larry Ruttman, have graduated. Tell me about the class that you're referring to. Well, Rabbi, I mean, uh, Miss Greenshields um, was quite a lady. And, uh, you know, they publish a book uh, when you graduate from high school called the Morivian, M-U-R-I-V-I-A-N. You know, every high school has a class book. And they devoted a page to Miss Greenshields. And on that page, she appears. She lived into her late 90s, I think, uh, close by in another town. But at that time... She maybe she was thirty-five or something like that. Never married, of Scottish descent, and uh, I never knew her very well in high school. And in the picture, she appears um, dressed very nicely, 
with a lovely smile, a very sort of a combination of somewhat distinguished but friendly and and wanting to be a good housemaster and to be an example for her students. But you know how we are in high school. I mean, our thoughts, you know, I have not developed to the same extent as when we become adults. And so, as I say, I never got to know her. But she did um, direct a play, Little Women, well-known play. Um, and I was in it. And Carl Sapers, who later was a very distinguished lawyer, passed away a few years ago, who became moderator of the town meeting. He was in the class behind me. And we found, and Miss Greenshields had a way that she wanted us to pronounce the word barrel. And so she kept saying, barrel. Anyway, as kids do, it was some word in the play. As kids, as young guys do, Carl and I found her pronunciation hilarious. And it became, and we became giddy. And every time the word, we couldn't speak the word without breaking out in laughter. And she was really, (laughs) we drove her crazy. She was annoyed, I'm sure. So anyway, I come to be writing this memoir, and I really touching, and it went directly to the idea of growing up and being a responsible citizen. It was a very touching message written from the heart. And I had a very strange experience at that time. This was about 10 years after she died. You know, I think she died around 2000, something like that. But I was very, very moved by the idea that here was this wonderful person. And I, you know, she was very well thought of. And you could see it in her face in a photograph. You could hear it in the words that she wrote. And I became almost tearful that I had never come to know this wonderful person. And I felt, it was like very surreal. I felt that I was communicating with her from life to her, Mm. now gone. And And I wrote it that way. And in my memoir, and it it gave me a I, I, I just it was an amazing feeling that it was like communing with someone that I had never known personally the way I now knew her. She was a real teacher, even though she wanted us to pronounce <laughs> barrel. Yes, another thing that about Miss Greenshields that really impressed me was uh, uh, along along with her picture in the Meridian, uh, the uh, high school yearbook. She also, and her appearance in the picture was remarkable. She also wrote words that were directed to her wishes for how we would live our future lives, and these words were so sincere and so warm, and uh, so in line with her position as a quote-unquote teacher who really are underpaid and really great teachers are a great thing. And I could tell you some about some other teachers at Brookline High School. But anyway, Ms. Greenshields, uh, the total impression I had that led to my surreal adventure um, in writing about her was, uh, was also the words that she wrote to us. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. 
Also check out the extensive Larry Rutman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on a life lived backwards, one man's life.